to another episode of the Carter Cast. I'm your host, Carter Bond. On today's show, we have Mark in Philly. If you've listened to Pick Central on Barstool Sports, then you've definitely heard him call in. He also hosts a show every Saturday on Fox Sports The Gambler from 11 to 1 Eastern called The Tough Cover. Make sure to check that out. We had a great time on the show today. But we're finally back after a month-long break. Articles will be going up daily starting tomorrow, Wednesday, June 8th. We will have articles going up daily. Check that out on cartercast.com. We have a bunch of interviews planned, a lot of fun stuff coming as well, so stay tuned for that. Also want to give a quick shout-out to the Hoops Hall Instagram account. They posted our Chris Duhon clip. It's got over 250,000 likes, a million-plus views on it. Pretty sweet to see that, so thank you, Hoops Hall, for the shout-out on there as well. On today's show, we talk NBA Finals. We do some NBA Draft stuff, close briefly with some Philly sports stuff. Super fun show. And also, if you're watching this on audio, yes, my headphones are broken. It looks stupid. I get that. Hope you all enjoy the show. But before we get into today's show, we are brought to you by Pod Talk. Pod Talk is the best way to listen to podcasts. It has the best interface compared to every other podcast listening app out there. I use Pod Talk myself. Go download it right now in the App Store. Go join group discussions on your favorite podcast like this one. Go subscribe and talk about the CarterCast and the CarterCast group discussion on PodTalk right now. Download PodTalk in the App Store today. And now here's the show. All right, we now welcome on Mark and Philly. If you've listened to Barstool Sports Daily Show, Pick Central, you've definitely heard him call in. He's the host of the Tough Cover on Fox Sports, The Gambler from 11 to 1 Eastern every Saturday. Mark, how are you, man? That's a great plug right there. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Talk about your show real quick. Let the people know where it's at, how they can listen, everything. Yeah, yeah. It's on uh, Fox PHL Gambler. Like you said, you can always follow them at Fox PHL Gambler or FoxPHLGambler.com. But it's on iHeartRadio um, on the Fox Sports PHL Gambler app. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, this isn't a, you're not, a, a, you know, a Philly guy. So these names yeah. won't. But there's a lot of local Philly, uh, you know, radio people uh, that that are big time that are on this show. And then somehow they let me uh, do a show every every Saturday talking gambling and other stupid stuff. But, yeah, I try to keep it light, try to keep it fun. And I give out my picks every time I always get, you know, usually a good Philly sports guest. And then I try to get a good gambling guest, usually two guests on every show. So, uh, but, yeah, it's I think uh, I think we're I guess we're heading into like our our third or fourth month now. It feels like I just got the show. And uh, I think we'll be, if you stay tuned to my Twitter, I think we'll be adding, um, adding another show on the station soon. There we go. Love to hear it. Well, let's start this off. Let's get into the finals. Series is tied 1-1. It's going back to Boston. Just give me your overall thoughts on the finals so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've been saying since, uh, since at least we know, since Boston beat Miami, I've been saying this is as 50-50 as any playoff series as you could, you know, pick th- throughout the rest of the playoffs uh, or, or the the last couple rounds. I don't think there's ever been this evenly matched of a finals. It's because, you know, Golden State's strength is obviously their guard play and their shooting like it has been for a really long time. But you throw Jordan Poole in the mix and it makes it even a little bit more. But you've got three amazing guards who can get their shots off. And then Boston's strength. I mean, there's a lot of strengths for Boston, but Boston's main strengths of the wings and it's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who uh you know the Warriors don't have that much of an answer for you have Wiggins you're going to use other guys that you can throw at them they're trying to you know, use Otto Porter as much as they can milk all they can out of him but it's it's such an interesting matchup because it seems like the Celtics have better answers for uh, Golden State's 
guard play than Golden State has for Tatum and Brown. But it almost seems like the the supplementary pieces of Golden State, uh, I, I guess, are a little bit more reliable than the supplementary pieces of Boston. You see that game yesterday, and the reason that Boston couldn't keep up is because no one was helping Brown and Tatum out. I mean, Brown went really cold, obviously, at one point, so that's a big factor. But it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in Boston. Boston hasn't been losing back-to-back games, so uh, you have to imagine Boston takes game three. I think Golden State might take game four, and then it's – I think it's probably a three-game series uh, where Golden State's got two of the games at home. It kind of feels like the Heat series where, like, these blowouts don't matter because you can't just – because everybody – you go on ESPN or First Take, whatever, all these shows, and they just say, whoever blew out the team the night before, they're going to say, oh, they're winning the series no matter what. You, it's You're right. It's the most 50-50 series I can remember in my lifetime. Yeah, I I, you know, I – I can totally agree with that. I, I think that you could tell me how this series, like you could tell me Celtics in six, Celtics in seven, Warriors in six, Warriors in seven. I'd be like, yeah, like, I guess so. Uh, my only bet before the series, like I, I took Steph at, at plus 110 to, to win finals MVP before the series for a pretty large play for me. But I, I did that because of the perceived value in Golden State being minus 160 or, uh, on but the Steph series. Steph is going to win that finals MVP. And because uh, I saw a tweet, it was, People are like, oh, Clay at 21 to one odds yeah. is great value. And then the quote tweet after that was, this is why Vegas is built by gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I know my guy Rico Bosco was in big on the Clay MVP. I think Ben Mintz uh, was too. They were talking about it on Pick Central. And I, I called in and I was like, hey, guys, if Golden State wins, there's a 95% chance Steph's winning the finals MVP, especially with the narrative of him never having won before. He's a top 10 player of all time. They're going to want to give that guy his flowers especially after these first two games, he's clearly been the best player on the floor on either team in these two games. And mm-hmm. already after these two games, there's a 0% chance Clay can win this after last night's performance. <laughs> and I, I think plus 110 for Steph Curry at finals MVP is a great play. If you had to give a prediction, who wins, how many games? Just because I said Warriors in seven at the beginning, I'll stick with it. If I if I'm saying that I think Boston can't lose back-to-back games, I guess that means they're going to have to here. But um, I, I think if they will, it'll be game four and five. I think game five will probably decide the series, game five in Golden State. And I, I'll stick with Golden State just because if it goes seven, like I, like I would guess it will, um, then you have, you have the home field or the home court, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. uh, advantage there in game seven. So uh, it's hard to bet against Steph Curry in a game seven at home. What do you make of all the Draymond stuff? Because yes, like, yes, it's dirty, but we're also like Twitter is flooded by Boston dudes, all Boston fans who are like the second, like the tiniest thing happens. I mean, you're a Philly guy. A tiny thing happens in Philly and everything erupts. So <laughs> I, I don't think he's that like, I'm not like, especially yesterday, everyone's like, oh, he should have gotten the double tech, like in a regular season game, maybe, but you do have to look at the finals. Everybody was complaining at Steve Javi. Because he said, oh, well, this is a finals game. He's already got a tech. You don't really want to eject him for that. That's 100% the right refereeing. That's what you should do. What do you think of the whole Draymond thing? Is he dirty? Is he not dirty? And do you like how he plays like this? Um, I think there's a line. and I, I do think he crosses it at times. And it, sure. it is, it is, there is like a little bit of an issue where you know that he can get a technical uh, and then he's not going to get another technical the rest of the game. So it's like, at that point, why even give him the first one? But it, it's it it gets frustrating to watch. I, I think and I'm by the way, I'm like you said, I'm a Philly guy, hundred percent unabashedly rooting for Golden State in this series. Do not want the Celtics to win the finals. And even I rooting for the Warriors can be like, man, 
like he's bait, he's trying to bait everyone in the team to a fight, which like, I, I don't love seeing that. I, I do think like the energy, I, I love the energy he brings and like the, the trash talk. I don't care about the trash talk at all. Trash talk all you want, but like the tackling and the falling on the threes and uh, you know, I could do without it, but it's not like I'm saying Boston's, you know, perfect. They've got Marcus smart on the team. So it's not like, but I, I don't have too much of an issue with any of it. I guess what, what my main point will be is one of my pet peeves in all of sports um, is when people refer to the 2016 finals and they go, Oh, golden state would have won if Draymond uh, didn't get suspended. Cleveland won that game by like 25 that Draymond sat in. Like that was a blowout win for Cleveland. And, but you can't bring what Draymond brings without the risk of what happens uh, when he gets, you know, 16 technicals that that's, what's going to happen. He's going to get suspended for a game. That's the rule book. So I, I do think like, yeah, it's it's fine. Like I'm fine with not double teeing him up, but then if he does get that double T and if he does get enough tees that lead to a suspension, I don't want like a, you know, a national cry fest over Draymond getting suspended either. That's kind of where I'm at. I think that's fair, but also back to the 2016 thing. I 100% (laughs) think the Warriors win that series if Draymond's in that game. I don't get it. I understand they lose by 25, but then the momentum and confidence Cleveland gains by winning by that much completely shifts that series. I think LeBron was on a mission from God in that series. Like, I don't think anything was stopping LeBron LeBron and Kyrie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You could could refer to me as a LeBron guy. Yeah, for sure. LeBron sexual, as they say. LeBron sexual, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about the NBA draft for a little bit. Uh, Actually, because we've had such weird drafts the last Mm -hmm. couple of years, one like September and then like, we it's just been all off now it's weird we have one back in june right after the finals who who the bookmakers have jabari smith going one it looks like chet right behind him and then paolo at like 20 to one whatever who do you think should go one not who who you think will who you think should go one you could talk me into all three and that's where i've been kind of it's like i i usually no, I'm not going to call myself a hot take guy because I don't want to be a hot take guy, but I do think there's times where in the NFL draft and the NBA draft, I'm a little less afraid to, to have courage in my convictions and to kind of put my money where my mouth is on certain guys that I, I'm a lot higher on than others. And, you know, there's times where I'm like, this should be the number one pick. And it's a joke that he's not. And, you know, I I was definitely slamming the table for Luca back in the day, but I've been wrong plenty of times as well. Like there's been plenty of guys. I was slamming the table for Mo Bamba in that same draft. So uh, this year, I don't feel passionately about who that top guy is going in a couple of weeks ago. I would have told you, man. Jaden Ivey is just as good as any of these top three and Palos. Like I I could have told you anything about the top four. The closer we get and the more I kind of dive into it, the more I do think Jabari going one is a little bit of a mistake. Like I I think if I had the number one pick, I would be Chet versus Paolo and I'd be going to bed having like nightmares every night. Like if I was, you know, one day I'm in the, I'm in the film room and I have them in and I'm watching them work out and I'm going, you know, okay, Paolo's the pick. I'd be going to bed dreaming about like the nightmare of Chet turning into the unicorn one of one guy that he can turn into. But then again, if I take Chet Holmgren, then you have the fear that man, maybe he's just Mobamba. Like I just said, another guy that tricked me into being all in on him. Uh, but if it, you'd be going to bed being like, man, 
if Paolo averages 25 this year in his rookie year for Oklahoma City and Chet looks like a complete baby deer out there uh, who's still getting his legs under him, how are we going to feel a year from now? Like, I would be between those two guys and Jabari, to me, just doesn't have quite the upside that Paolo and uh, Chet have. But probably the surest thing of the three. What about – I mean, do you uh... – if you had to pick between Paolo or Chet, who are you going then? Because for me, I'm going Paolo because I, I can just trust him more. It's the safer pick. It really is. I think Paolo's going to be an automatic 20 points a game kind of guy in the league. I think he's going to be phenomenal. My only real concern with Paolo, I think he's going to be a stud, is he is horrifically, horrific on defense. He get, I think he just gets bored on defense. I don't think it's necessarily an effort thing. I just think he just gets bored. And you just watch his guys go by him, and he just thinks – He's almost too cool for school, as cheesy as that is to say. <laughs> I I have to lean Chet, but again, it's but just like, because... I, I understand the Chet thing because like you're looking at this guy, he's like seven two, can do everything. The 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 idea of a rim running pick and pop, pick and roll, alley oop threat who can shoot forty percent and then can also defend the rim, it, it it's tantalizing, man. It, it really is something where it's like. There's never been a Chet Holmgren that has been what we think he can be. And, and it's also, I, I think that there's a, a little bit of a misconception and I'm doing it myself right now by, by attaching this, you know, really risky label to him. There's a little bit of a misconception that this guy is completely unproven and that this guy is, you know, we don't know what he's going to be. He was, I mean, he was putting up pretty good numbers at a college level. I mean, it's at Gonzaga, it's in WCC. It's not like he's playing in the ACC or in, in the SEC or the Big 12 or anything like that. But he, I mean, they played enough games against real competition and he didn't embarrass himself in those games. So I don't think that there's this, uh, there's as much questions with Chet as people will paint there to be. But I, I'd be lying if I said that he's a sure thing. He absolutely is not. But he's a unicorn one of one guy. Palo. 100% is going to win rookie of the year, I think. Um, and I, I think if I was Orlando, I, I think he fits perfectly for what they need because he can kind of initiate the offense and Orlando just doesn't have a point guard whatsoever. But if you're Orlando, you do also kind of have to draft with the next seven years in mind instead of what you have on your roster right now because I don't know how many keepers are on their roster. Um, so I think I'd end up taking Chet, um, but it, it would be really a, a really, really tough decision. What I would do is I would – try to trade down to two or three, a hundred percent. With Chet, my big thing too with him is the games he played against really athletic teams. Example, when they played Duke back in Vegas, he struggled in that game big time. And then when he, they played Arkansas in the tournament, he struggled big time. But then when he plays a team like BYU, it's barbecue chicken the whole time. So when he gets that true athleticism, NBA athleticism, it seems like he does struggle. And he it, look, he's not the, he's got to fill out a little bit. Because mm-hmm. if the way his body is right now, it's impossible for him to stay healthy or even be a solid, even potential all-star level player in the NBA. Yeah, I, you know, I'm always, if you ever like follow me on the draft stuff, it's just something that I'm a little bit agnostic about. Like Devontae Smith was a, was a big one where, oh, he's got to fill out. And I was always kind of like, I don't know. I think he's kind of a unicorn. Like, I think he's kind of a, a special case. And I think people said the same about That's Chris Stapps. 
People said the same about Chris Stapps. And, and, you know, I'm not going to say Chris Stapps has had an incredible career. Maybe you could factor that in into why he uh, why he actually flamed out and had his injury issues. He was at one time a really good player. I think people kind of forget that about him. But I mean, I, he didn't really fill out before he was a really good player. So I could – what you framed it really well, actually. You framed it in a better way than when I've heard most. Like, I don't know if Chet has to fill out much more to succeed at the NBA level, but – he might have to fill out more to stay durable and to not get not to not to get banged up and not get hurt at the NBA level. That's probably I haven't really thought of it that way, to be quite honest. Okay, let's talk about this. I haven't quite figured out my guy. I have a couple people in mind, but who is someone in this draft that you don't like? You you just don't understand why they're in the lottery mm-hmm. or in the top 10 for the life of you. You're just like, what how on earth are they this high? This makes no sense. Hmm, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know if he's top 10, um, but EJ Liddell is a guy that I wouldn't necessarily touch with a 10 foot pole. Um, I think a lot of people are pointing to Grant Williams and they're like, oh, this is what EJ Liddell can be. I think Grant Williams is a bit of an anomaly. Like Grant Williams was a guy that I wasn't necessarily all that high on. And I, I, I was I wrong. Anybody was high on even Celtics fans hated him until like this playoff run. Yeah, no, you're right. You're <laughs> right. So I, I think a lot of people, I have, but I have heard that a lot. Like I've heard a lot of those comparisons from EJ Liddell to him. EJ Liddell was like a back to the basket center at, at like six, seven in college. And I don't know how switchable he is on defense. Like, I just don't know if he's going to translate to the next level. He's a guy I loved watching in college. I loved betting on Ohio state the last two years with him there. Um, I, I, but I think I've seen him ranked around or even higher than his teammate, Malachi Branham. And I would take Malachi Branham like 10 to 15 spots higher than I would take EJ Liddell. I haven't, I'm really kind of, I'm still pretty early in my draft research in terms of the, the fringe guys. And in terms of really diving in from a Sixers perspective at 23, which I'll do um, at the painted lines the, the, uh, on a YouTube channel that really focuses on the Sixers and Philly sports. But I, uh, in terms of the top of the top, I've really evaluated like the lottery. I think Malachi Branham's a guy who's probably outside of the lottery who should be in it. And EJ Liddell's a guy who I've seen fringe lottery, who I wouldn't necessarily want to take in the top 20 to 25. They have uh, ESPN has Branham at 14 right now. Where do they have Liddell? Liddell has dropped to 24. Okay. So then I guess he's not all that overrated anymore. <laughs> so one person I think who has the biggest question mark, everybody talks about Chet having a big question mark over him, but Shaden Sharp, we haven't seen him play. Yeah. And he's at six. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of Darius Garland because um, Darius Garland played, I forget how many games, but it was like nine games or something mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt. So you were drafting like the idea of Darius Garland. By the way, it turned out pretty well. Like the idea of Darius Garland, pretty good uh, point guard who can be ball dominant and is a, a lights out shooter from three who can penetrate. So kind of the same idea with Shaden Sharp. Like uh, I, it's it's a weird situation, uh, but you know, I rank him sixth right now because what you can glean on video and what you can watch, the jumper's clean. Like, the offensive, the the, the pull-up's clean, catch-and-shoot's clean. Like, all, all that stuff, all the shot mechanics are there. So, you know, it's, it's tough to evaluate. And it's why the NBA draft is so much harder to evaluate than the NFL draft. There's always these weird guys who didn't play in college where there's guys from Europe or there's guys from the G League or there's guys from high school occasionally. Like, there's always... Uh, not level playing fields and it makes these guys tough to compare it's part of the fun of it though for sure 100 mm-hmm, all right last thing on the nba drafts who's your diamond in the rough i think i saw a tweet earlier that might 
spoil it, but let me hear it. Yeah, Terry Eason um, from LSU. He he's you know as a Sixers fan, I'm surprised that I'm not uh, that I'm not against all guys from LSU now. But he's a guy who at LSU as a sophomore he averaged 17 points per game in 24 minutes per game. Like this guy is instant offense. He's not a volume three point shooter, but 36 percent. And the shot looks clean to me. Like, I think that that's something you can absolutely build on in terms of being a three and D forward at the next level gets to the line a lot for a guy that you wouldn't expect to get to the line so much as a, as a forward um, pretty good rebounder for his size, but where it really, I mean, the, the most impressive thing is he, he was two steals in one block uh, per game at LSU. And even at Cincinnati um, as a freshman playing 19 minutes per game, he had 1.2 steals and 1.3 blocks. I mean, this is a six, eight guy who can, I, Maybe he can even play some like small ball stretch five at times, but he's just like, you know, to steal a part of my take barstool term, he's got grit. Like that, not, you know, we talked about Draymond earlier and I don't think he's like Draymond at all really as a player, even like, I don't think he's like dirty or anything like that, but he brings an energy to the floor where he's just a dog. Like, and when you, you could tell in the minutes he was on and off the court for LSU, like they needed a guy like him out there. He gets in some foul trouble, but he's, he actually like, again comparison doesn't make any sense but two years ago Tyrese Maxey uh was ranked in the the late teens and most mocks and he ended up obviously going 21 thank god to the 76ers which I I had him ranked in my I think I had him ranked eighth in that year and it was one of those guys where I'm like people have him ranked in the late teens what am I missing like why am I off to have him this high and it turns out I was I wasn't the one that was off I feel the same way right now about Terry Easton. Like I'm looking at people having him in the late teens or post lottery. And I'm like, why is this guy not a top 10 pick in a league that we're seeing is dominated by wings and forwards. Like we're looking at what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are doing in, in, in the, in the NBA finals and in the playoffs in general, I'm not saying he's going to be one of those guys, but you need guys to defend those types of guys. And there's so many of them now in the league with, you know, if you want to say Luca, LeBron, the list goes Middleton, the list goes on and on in terms of wings that are on good teams that can compete going forward in the playoffs. So Terry Eason seems like a guy, if I was a contending team in the twenties or the teens, I would love to try to get, make a move to get him. One guy that I don't understand that's ranked as high as he is, is Jeremy Sochan. I, I don't get it. I like, I understand people are going to say, Oh, he can have the Draymond kind of thing. He's just a difference maker when he's on the floor. I just don't get it. He doesn't bring any, real real thing like real like tangible thing i can see no i'm totally with you i actually when you asked me the question about a guy i don't like and i answered ej liddell he was the other name that ran through my head because he's a i mean he's a 59 percent free throw shooter he's a, a theoretical three-point shooter like very much theoretical not uh nothing you can bank on at this point um and it's not a guy who was a high recruit that's what always fascinates me with certain guys like he was like uh, i think he was the, like a not a top 50 recruit. I, I don't know exactly where he was, but I know he wasn't a high recruit and he's kind of came out of nowhere. So I'm shocked that this guy with no high school pedigree is being treated like, Oh, he was a top 10 prospect and we just don't see it yet. Like, I don't get it. Like, I think people saw what Scotty Barnes did last year to go along with your Draymond point And people see Draymond and Ben Simmons and Scotty Barnes. And they're like, Oh, these types of different players can work out, but kind of similar to the EJ Liddell Grant Williams point. Like, those players are anomalies because they can do specific things incredibly well. Like Jeremy Sohan is Scotty Barnes and Ben Simmons without the passing ability, without the ball handling, without the the floor vision. And it's like, once you take that away from a Scotty Barnes or a Ben Simmons, what do those guys have really, you know? Exactly. A hundred percent. Real quick. We'll close on this. 
Uh, I have two questions to close with. I haven't decided which one I'm going to go with. You can go with both of them. Okay, real quick. Is Doc Rivers the most overrated coach in basketball? Absolutely. The most overrated coach in uh, team sports history. Um, uh, Joe Girardi is up there. Uh, thankfully, he's out of town um, in Philadelphia. But uh, Doc Rivers is a guy where he's coasting off of a ring from 2008. 2008. Like, I, I don't know if I was in middle school yet. I'd have to do the math. I was probably in sixth, sixth grade, I think. I mean, this guy has choked at so many levels at so many in so many ways. Like, I, and you know what the funny thing is, like, I don't think this series was on him. Like, I don't think losing to Miami was on him. Joel Embiid missed the first two games and then was a shell of himself. And they still tied Miami 2-2 in the games that Joel Embiid played, if you want to get technical about it. But I don't think Doc Rivers could have done anything to win. In, in the NBA playoffs, you need a guy playing like an MVP to win. That's pretty simple. Like, the, the Celtics have Tatum. The, the Mavs had Doncic. The Warriors obviously have Steph. Um, the, the heat had Jimmy and, and Joel was our guy that had to do that. And he was hurt. And that, that's really what happened. So people I'm, you know, I'm not going to be like an optimist all the time for Philly sports. If, if you follow me, I'm pretty negative a lot, but that's, that's I, just Philly sports fans. That's not, yeah. You know, yeah. That's every Philly sports. Fan. I get it. I've never seen an optimi- optimistic Philly sports fan. The funny thing about that is like, I, I'd like to think that I'm objective. You know, I go on radio and I try to look at things just objectively how I would look at them outside of Philadelphia. And I get accused a lot of times of being a, an optimist, a Philly optimist. And like, oh, you're just a homer. And it's like, that, that, that's the funny thing with every Philly sports fan is like, oh, we're going to lose. Howie Roseman should be yeah. in his grave, all this. <laughs> and then the next sentence, they're like, oh, yeah, dude, put your life savings on the Eagles over eight and a half <laughs> wins this season. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Howie gets a bad rap. Howie's made some bad calls, but Howie, largely Howie does a great job I mean he's a great general manager the Eagles have been one of the most successful franchises in sports over the last like you know since 2017 obviously so uh but uh, somehow that was that was a hell of a tangent but Doc Doc Rivers is very overrated uh the Atlanta series is just it, it just I have no words because all year long all year long, and this goes out. This goes to the opposite. When they were the one seed, the Sixers. People forget now when the Sixers lost to that that series to the Hawks. They were the one seed in, in the in the Eastern Conference, and all year long as they're cruising, I'm telling people, look at the numbers on the on off numbers in terms of Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard playing together. Like Doc needs to completely play Ben with Joel every single. And that's the funny thing. Everyone's like, oh, Ben and Joel couldn't fit together. What they actually needed to do was make them a hockey shift where they couldn't be on the floor without each other because Ben needed Joel shooting from the outside. When you put Dwight in there with Ben Simmons, you have two people who want to be in the paint. And then you throw Matisse Thibel in there, who's a non-factor on offense. You don't even have to guard him from three. I said all year long, like the data was pretty clear. I wasn't the only one saying it, but people were telling me like, oh, you're crazy. It's a backup center. It doesn't matter that much. It's like the margins matter in the NBA playoffs. Everything matters in the NBA playoffs. And Doc Rivers just, there's actually multiple times during the regular season. He's like, all right, guys, like I'm not going to play Ben and Dwight together. Like stop telling me about it. And then the next game, he would just put them out there together again. And he did it multiple times in the Hawks series. If you go look up at the plus minus numbers, it's why they lost. If you look at the plus minus numbers in the Raptors series that Brett Brown coached, they were a minus one Oh nine in the 99 minutes to sat. Like it's like a theme for Sixers fans for the backup center to cost us. So then it happens against, starts to happen this year with DeAndre Jordan and Doc Rivers is like, stop talking about it. It's the back of five. And more than anything, like I don't think Doc deserved to be fired for his performance. Sorry for the long winded answer, but, but 
he should be fired because he's i don't know if i can curse but say whatever you want he's an asshole he should be fired because he's an asshole like the way that he treats the media and the way that he treated his players the way that he talked about tyrese maxi when he was a rookie when people were asking him to play more last year not this year obviously when he had his breakout but last year he was like refusing to play maxi they were go through they were going through entire stretches in the playoffs in the hawk series where they didn't play him and then the next game they played him and he came out and won us a game like there was no consistency of the rotation. It's just he should be fired because he's an asshole. Uh, but he all, uh, he also is really overrated his job. <laughs> See, that's the whole thing. Yeah, the the stuff with the media too. It, it just ha- leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Obviously, anytime you treat media bad, then they're gonna tell everybody else how bad they are. All that, whatever. But he's also just an overrated coach. Like I don't understand how he still has a job in this day. Like when there's other candidates, like. Even a Mike D'Antoni would come in there and change everything. Yeah, you don't got to tell me twice. I am the biggest Mike D'Antoni in the business today. Yeah, like he's gonna be a Hornet. I yeah, that's actually like a weird. I I, I kind of don't because I yeah. If the Hornets, the number one prospect now has to be Quinn Snyder. Even though I don't think he coaches this year, I think he's waiting for Popovich to quit. I agree. But it looks like it's Atkinson or D'Antoni, which. Atkinson's a great Atkinson's a great coach. I think. I think Atkinson's a really, really good coach. I think the work he did with those Brooklyn teams was something else. I think he got railroaded. I think so too, but I also think it's not that much of a j- different change than from James Borrego. I think they're kind of I don't a know similar enough, yeah. thing. But uh, anyhow, let's let's close on this question. You're already worked up. This is gonna work you up even more. Why <laughs> real quick, think- real quick though, I, I just want to say Mike D'Antoni is one of the five smartest minds in basketball. I would do despicable things for Mike D'Antoni to be the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. I've been saying it for years now, since he was our assistant to Brett Brown. And I like Brett Brown, but Mike D'Antoni is a basketball genius. So even if I don't think the fit's right, you're a Hornets fan, I, I think, from what I take it, mm-hmm. you should be happy if they if they make that move, even if the fit's Not weird. upset. I, Borrego had to go. Let's close on this. Why do you think Joel Embiid deserved the MVP over Nikola Jokic? Because I'm in the Jokic camp. <laughs> I, I think defense matters. Um, and I know that you can point at the defensive analytics and it can say that Nikola Jokic is a good defender. But I think if you watch the series against Golden State, um, and I know that people are going to say it's a regular season award, but I just think that the, and by the way, um, I'm not even necessarily team Joel should have won MVP. If I'm being quite honest, if you injected me with truth serum, there's no way you could tell me Giannis wasn't the best player in the NBA this year. Like I, I, I think it's, one of those things where people just get sick of saying the best player in the world is the MVP. I just don't think there's anyone in the world who thinks Nikola Jokic is even in the conversation for best player in the world when it comes down to it for basketball. Like, and I think Giannis is, uh, and I think if Durant was healthy, like I wouldn't have a problem with Durant beating out uh, with, with Durant beating out Joel. And I, I think my biggest problem with it is a lot of Philly fans take Embiid not winning MVP, and it's like they hate the process. They hate they hate us because they they hate us because we tank. They hate Philly. It's Philly versus everybody. And Joel even he, Joel plays. He know he plays the hits. Jo- Joel does what he knows is going to get traction. But I don't think it's that. I true and I know I'm not making fun of you here for being a Jokic guy. I truly think that the the and I'm a stat nerd. I, I you know me like I I give out all the numbers. I love numbers. I think that it goes too far sometimes when I think the basketball stat nerd community would vote for a Jokic MVP season on a six seed that's worse than the year before over like a prime Michael Jordan, 
prime LeBron James MVP season. Like that's my problem with it is because Jokic certainly does kind of break the stat line mold of what basketball of what we're used to with the passing that he has from a rebounding standpoint. And he scores obviously a ton of points. I just think, yeah, he puts up sure 26, 14 and nine, but there's no way you can convince me that that 26, 14 and nine is as impactful as LeBron's 29, seven and seven, or as, Giannis's 29, 14, six on the, some of the best defensive basketball. So it really goes beyond Joel. Like I don't want to make it a Joel thing because I kind of get annoyed with the Philly side of the argument there. I don't understand why Giannis was excluded from the conversation. And I, I do think Embiid deserved it more than Jokic. Like I wouldn't have voted for Jokic first or second is really what it comes down to for me. So I don't disagree with the, the Giannis thing. Cause I do think it's a mere media narrative and it gets boring even though he was just phenomenal all year. But also, the Nuggets did have almost a similar record to Philly and the Bucks, and that Nuggets team was horrendous. I mean, Aaron Gordon's his second-best player. That's my biggest thing is he is the most – it sounds stupid, where he is the most actual valuable – most valuable player to his team because you take Jokic out, they're a 12 seed. They're a 12-13 seed in the West. I think if you took – Joel off of the Sixers pre-Harden trade, then I they'd be they would have been really really bad. And we saw even post-Harden trade, we saw in, in Game One and Game Two against Miami, they lost each game by twenty plus points. Um, so I, I do think that Joel's just as valuable to his team. But and I, I also don't love the idea of like punishing people because they have slightly better teammates around him. But the record thing isn't the record thing isn't really a, a factor for the Sixers Nuggets thing. It was like earlier in the season when. Um, when it were, there was a little bit more of a disparity, but um, it, it should factor in for the Bucks. The Bucks, I guess, the Bucks only won one more game than six or so. Revisionist yeah. history in my head because they cause they only finished they finished as a two whatever. But um, anyway, uh, I, I think that Giannis is the best player in the world, and when it comes down to it, because of um, his impact on the defensive end, I think Joel, in terms of a regular season player, is one of the three best players in the world with Durant. Giannis and him um, because of what he brings in the defensive end. And I, I think Joel is the, def- the best defensive center in the NBA um, because of the rim protection that he brings. And also the, the way he's able to guard pick and rolls. Like he, he really is a, a special defender. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, I, I almost think he's, I don't think Joel. Um, I think a lot of people look at Joel and they're like, Oh, he's what a great scorer. What a great rebounder. I don't think Joel's like a special rebounder at all. I think he's just huge. Joel's a special, special defender, and it doesn't get talked about enough. And I think that's kind of part of why I get so upset with the MVP conversation. Same with Giannis, doesn't get talked about enough what he brings on the defensive end either. I'm, when it comes down to it, I'm a defensive nerd. And uh, the, the whole Jokic thing with him getting taken out at the end of games for, for defensive purposes, it bothers me that an MVP could get taken out at the end of the game for defensive purposes. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Last, last, last question, I promise. <laughs> James Harden, extend him or no? It's not really, you, you have to, um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe he opts in. Um, I also, you know, like the James Harden conversation is always going to be more nuanced than people want to make it, but he's, he was the only player in the NBA that averaged 20 and 10 this year. And I'm not saying that he's exactly what we want him to be, or he was perfect or anything like that, but he's in his Chris Paul era. He's basically his own James Harden inefficient, sure version of Chris Paul. Um, so, and you look at the on off numbers, James Harden's on off numbers for the Sixers this year, were like on par with the top players in the NBA. Like, 
Uh, I mean, they were markedly better with him on the floor, and that's with a lot of those minutes being shared with DeAndre Jordan. He's not the scorer he once is, and I see a lot of other people being like, oh, do you extend him and hope that he takes, you know, he progresses back to being a really good scorer. I think we've seen the last of really good scorer James Harden. Like, can he average 23? Sure. I think he can be the Brooklyn version of James Harden, which wasn't that different from last year's version. It's like 2%, like two points, a rebound and an assist. And not that everything stats and I get it, but people just remember the last game with James Harden instead of the game with where that they won game four, where Joel didn't play all that well. And they needed every bit of what James Harden brought in the second half. So it's a, it's a lot of revisionist history, but what if people are going to make it an anti-James Harden thing. And I love Embiid as much as anybody. When it comes down to it, Embiid's got to be healthy and Embiid's got to be an MVP level player in the playoffs. And at that point, if he is, then James Harden has to be the second banana and Tyrese Maxey has to be the second or third banana. And at that point, why can't the Sixers, that top three, be what the Bucks were last year, where Giannis had an MVP level performance that led them to the you know winning the finals, and Middleton and Drew filled in what they did. And you look at the numbers; it's not like, like Middleton put up like twenty three in the playoffs, like Drew put up like seventeen in the playoffs that run. I think like it's not crazy to think Harden and Maxi could do that. What it's going to come down to is those fringe guys, the backup five thing that I mentioned, and Joel being healthy. All right, we'll close there. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Make sure to check out his show every Saturday from 11 to 1 Eastern time on Fox Sports, The Gambler. Mark, thanks again, my man. Of course, man. Thanks for listening to today's episode with our man Mark in Philly. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. underscore. And we will be back Thursday or Friday with Game 3 of the NBA Finals doing a recap of that. Connor and I will be on that one, and interviews are coming back next week. And for BYU fans, be on the lookout because Grant and I are going to be doing an exclusive BYU sports podcast starting in July to get ready for football season. And those will be going once a week. And then during the season, we will have our regular show once a week. We'll pick a certain day. We'll let you know for that. And then we'll also be doing a preview of the game the day before or the day of. And then for some of the bigger games, we'll be doing a live Twitter spaces on Twitter right after some of the bigger games. So check that out. It'll all be, it'll be a separate YouTube channel, a separate podcast feed, but it'll all be on cartercast.com as well. So check that out on cartercast.com. And thanks again for listening. And we will see y'all next time. Bye.